You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I gotta tell you something, people. I'm very excited to have my guest today because she's not only a, a Tony winner, she's been in some iconic movies, she's been in some great TV shows, she's written for TV, she's directed for TV, and now she just came out with a novel, The Real True Hollywood Story of Jackie Gold. And my guest is Dinah Manoff. How you doing, Dinah? I'm doing okay. I'm just uh, sitting here in New York City looking at the beautiful blue sky out the window. Happy to be here. Now, I want to talk about the book. And what's cool that you wrote that book is that a lot of people with a career like yours, you've had a very successful career, automatically write a memoir. Like, you know, they sit there and they go, oh, we're going to Now, did that ever come into your mind or when did, or was this just, you? how'd you get the idea for this book? Oh, well, honestly, for me to write a memoir, everyone in my family would have to be dead first. So I, I can't do that. It's just, you know, it's just not going to happen. Um, but this book came to me, well, the seed of it came to me a long time ago um, when I was doing uh, uh, Empty Nest, the series. Um, that was, you know, a time before, um, and, you know, around and you'd find your picture in the Inquirer, the star, you know, entertainment tonight. And, uh, one day, um, right after my son was born, um, someone from the Inquirer showed up at my front door to question his paternity. And because I was a new mother and the mother bear was in me, I screamed at him and chased him off my property. And this was around the time when Princess Diana had been killed in that tunnel by the paparazzi chasing her. And it just planted a seed in me about the paparazzi and lack of privacy. And so I started you know, playing around with that concept. And in the real true story of, of Jack, the real true Hollywood story of Jackie Gold. Um, and she's in Malibu Colony. Her dad is the head of a movie studio. And she tells her story from the hospital bed where she's lying in a coma, having jumped off a balcony to escape paparazzi. It's a funny book. <laughs> I may not sound funny, but it's a funny book. And it goes... responsible, you know, and um, yeah, like that. Um, it's funny, you're, you're freezing a little bit on me. Uh, must be the internet. But um, so, so you sat there, so you decided to write this. Now, you, now you've written for TV before. Is that when you first started writing? You wrote a few episodes for Empty Nest. I mean, have you always wanted to write? I've, I've always written. Writing a novel was daunting, and it took me many, many years. Are you hearing me okay? Yes. Okay, I'll start. Um, writing a novel was a lot a lot different than writing for television or short stories or, you know, even um, theater. I had a, a previously adapted uh, a book my father wrote in the 40s um, into a play with a, with a friend of mine. Um, but writing this novel took me many years and many drafts. I'm a writer. 
uh, I had graduated college. I am not educated. Um, I was absent all the days they taught about grammar and punctuation. And so this was my training ground for long form writing. And, and I just, um, I just kept going and, and the story kind of unfolded as I worked on it. Now, you know, you mentioned they knocked on your door and, you know, and we've seen in the years, you know, I mean, paparazzi was bad then, but now it's just blown up. I mean, as someone who's been in the public eye, how do you think you would have been able to handle all the BS that goes on now? Like, you can't do anything. Like, if you were sitting there eating something wrong and there was a dribble in your mouth, someone would take a picture and they post it and there'd be some BS headline going, oh, look at Dinamento. She can't even put food in her mouth. I mean, what is, you know, as, a, as someone who's been in the public eye, does it disturb you what's going on now? Well, I watched the Britney documentary and it I was natural and I I did a lot of acting out I was you know smoking drinking never thinking and I feel very very fortunate that there were no cell phones at the time when they could have absolutely eviscerated me so you know i got away with a lot then um could i handle it now no no i i feel very you know i live on a little island near seattle i'm very private um i'm you know even coming out to to promote the book is big for me you know is is me stepping outside of my comfort zone now so no, I, I, uh, I think it's horrific what's happened. Now, with the book, you said the book's taken you a while to write. You know, you had this idea. When did you sit there and really just get in gear and say, I'm getting this done? And when you did that, were you disciplined for the fact that you would sit there every day and write? Well, I, I really wrote this in fits and starts. <clears throat> you know, I had three boys along the way and they were um very inconvenient for my writing (laughs) so i had to make a choice at a certain point you know if i was going to raise these uh these three children under the age of six and uh and or lock myself away in a room and and i made a choice to put the writing aside and concentrate on them until they were at an age where they needed me less And so in fits and starts, this novel came about. And, um, you know, when I first sent it out, I sent it out to big publishers and agents. And I got a lot of, you know, wonderful feedback and no. uh, um, And then play for a while. And then I sent it out to independent publishers and, you know, immediately got, you know, great feedback and two offers. And so. You know, listen, you know, I I would have loved to have put it away and never risked getting more rejection and and uh, and and never having to write another draft of it. But the fact was, I really felt like I had to tell this story. This story had to come out of me. You know, it it really is for me. It's not my story, 
but it's the story that I think I observed in Hollywood. And, and I think it was very um, cathartic for me to get this story out of me. Now, in the story, are there any characters that are based on real people that you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's real people that I know, but it's not kind of like I'm, you know, hiding a real boyfriend behind a character. You know, I, I mean, I don't do that, you know, but certainly there are, you know, situations and lines. And, you know, I did grow up in Malibu and Jack up in Malibu and, and there was this waitress at the Malibu coffee shop who married this really rich guy in the colony and... Are you losing me? Says, says I'm un- my internet is I unstable, and, and and so you know there were there were impressions made on me along the way of my childhood and my my adolescence and and for me the least interesting part of writing was writing about the glamour of Hollywood because honestly it's boring, you know it's it's all. You know, where am I going to get my nails done and my hair at the studio? So what I tried to do was to dig into, you know, the places in my character and Jackie that came from places the readers would identify. Insecurity and fear and, you know, feeling not pretty enough and, and, and all the things I felt as an actress and, and, uh, and that, you know, I feel women, all of us have in common. And, and the, those were the areas that I, I explored. Now, how many drafts did you do? Because people always say about the writing the drafts, and then, you know, you do your drafts, and you, you do your own drafts, then you go to an editor, and they want to do drafts. How many drafts did you go? And at any time as you were doing them, were you getting frustrated? No, I love, I love rewriting. Getting a first draft out is torture. I mean, it's just bad. and you know this is I hate it and but rewriting for me is glorious and writing with an editor is the best because that's like that's how I used to feel as an actor in rehearsal before you had to actually get on stage and be nervous you know the collaboration having someone tell me how to make it better that for me is thrilling because then I can just take the note and you know and 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 dig in um, I probably went through five drafts of this, five complete different drafts, yeah, from beginning to end, sure. And now now when you finished it, was it just a sigh of relief, or were you sitting there thinking, well, you know what, I might want to tweak that, and they said, no, Donna, Donna, it's done, it's <laughs> <Exactly>. done. Exactly, <laughs> was exactly that. <laughs> I actually said to my editor, do not send me this one more time. But if I see it again, I will find page. Do not send it back to me. And that's how I knew I was done. Now, I want to talk about your acting because you've had, you've had a very successful career. And, you know, you come from famous parents. You know, what, what made you get into acting? Like, did, did your parents ever say, don't get into business, don't stay out of it? Or, or what made you decide to become an actor? Well, I'd love to tell you that it was my passion for theater, but the truth was I just wasn't good at anything else. And I was kind of a juvenile delinquent, and I, you know, was a 
drop out and didn't make it through. I wasn't a class kid. I couldn't sit still in class. But I had been cueing my mother on scripts from the time I was six years old. I mean, I grew up in basically in a production company. My stepfather is a producer. There was a writer. So this is what this is what I knew. It was in seriously in my blood. And so, you know, when I was around 17 or 18, I just started auditioning. And at that point, I was barely trained. I just was going on raw energy and and some talent. And um, and I was lucky. I was lucky. And, uh, you know, along the way, I learned more and learned craft and, you know, sometimes went to class. But um, but I really started out, you know, <laughs> just flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> well, you said you were lucky and you, and you were getting some early work. Did that make it harder for you to learn the craft? Because it's one of those things, well, I've, I haven't really studied much, but I'm getting work. I mean, where was your mind frame with that? also something I explored because I felt like a fraud. You know, I knew I had a mother who had been blacklisted for 10 years, taught acting at the actor studio for years, had struggled, you know, had done Shakespeare and the classics and was, you know, an Oscar winner. And here I'm coming along, you know, off the beach, <laughs> you know, little Sandy from the beach and going to auditions and like, you know, just winging it and I'm getting work. And so I felt like a fraud. And Jackie in my novel also feels like a fraud. She has the sense that she hasn't proved herself. And um, it was really good for me to explore that in the book because it was something that, you know, I hadn't really yet explored in my life. How hard is that when you are explaining it? It's like also when people write, you know, autobiographies, they really have to delve into their soul a lot. And sometimes that's not easy when you're sitting there and you're really looking inside yourself and writing it. When you were drawing the correlations between you and Jackie, was it hard for you to write or was it something that you just, it just floated, it just flew out? It mostly, I will say that the harder things to write in Jackie were the more superficial things. Um, writing from that place, touching from that deeper place is the easier place for me to write from. Interestingly for me, it is not the easier place for me to act from. And so it feels like a relief to me to be able to express myself from, from such an open place where when I was an actor, I was always a relaxed, open, available, deeper uh, source in myself. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but when I write, I just disappear. I want to talk to you, you know, your act, in, in your acting career, how did Grease come about? And, 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 you know, did you, like, I mean, I'm, I'm 57. I watched that. Everyone I knew went to see that movie. You know, how did Greece come about and, and you know and, and did you know that it was just gonna be 
I mean, it's giant. I mean, you know, when you talk about iconic, it's it's an iconic film. I mean, did you? I mean, just tell me, did you know what the part was going to be? Were you excited? Did you were you up for that part you got as Marty? Or tell me about the audition. So originally, they brought me in for Frenchie for DB Khan's role, and um, I I read for Joel Thurm, the casting director, and he looked at me and he said, "Why don't you come back and read for Marty?" And I was like, well, okay. And so um, I came in with the adjustment I took was that Marty was emulating Marilyn Monroe and that, that I was playing a character who was playing a character, right? So that she was always, you know, trying to find that Marilyn in her body. And the, the casting director, Joel Thurm, said, Yes, that's it, but now more Fire and Ice. And Fire and Ice was a lipstick at that time in the 50s. And I knew exactly what he meant. And I actually happened to have an old lipstick of my, of my great aunt's with me because I was working on that character. And so then I put the lipstick on and that was it. Then I had to do a dance audition. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not much of a dancer, but what I did was I figured Marty would just compensate with her shoulders and her hips and her lips. <laughs> and so, you know, the, there were all these dancers flying around me in the audition because they were all auditioning too. Sorry for the um, phone ringing. And, and I just, you know, I just shimmied. <laughs> Somehow I got the part. Now, what was what was it like on the set? Because it's all a bunch of uh, young actors, you know. It's it's a it's a fresh idea. It's based on a play. I mean, was the set just a fun time? Hold on, I'm going to answer that as soon as I unplug the remote. Okay, I heard the question. So. For me, it was my first movie and I was nervous, really, really nervous and intimidated by all the talent around me. Um, John and Olivia. I mean, John was at the time, he, he was sexier than you think he was. There was an energy around him that really, at least me, left me speechless and so there was all this heat around John and you would think that because there were so many of us young, terribly attractive people <laughs> working together during the summer for three months, but there was very little action going on. You know, there was a lot of heat on the set and not a lot of, you know, nobody was like hooking up as they say now. Um, except Jeff Conaway, who was getting all the action. So there's a little bit of dish for you. <laughs> but we had um, we had a great time. I mean, the ladies and I, my favorite scene to film was Sandra D because it really was like a slumber party all day long. I loved hanging out with Stalker and Dee Dee and Jamie and torturing Olivia who really was a good girl 
like we were really the bad girls and she really was the good girl. So getting to just, you know, have fun and tease her and torture her in character all day was kind of delicious and, and real. And, and she was such a good sport, you know, about the whole thing. She's, she's a darling. Anyway. Yes, it was great. So when it, when it came out, did you, did you guys know it was going to be a hit? No, you know, it was, it was hyped up to be a hit, but when it came out, the, the reviews were really lukewarm. I mean, a lot of the criticism was that it was too campy and that, you know, it wasn't as good as the play. And Greece kind of was like this, this rolling stone that kept gathering energy as the years went by. I mean, I get almost as much fan mail now as I did back when it opened up. You know, it's every generation kind of rediscovers it and its campiness works in its favor. So, you know, it wasn't a big hit when it opened. It was big hype when it opened, but it became a big hit over the years. Now, it's funny, you know, we talk about Greece, and now, how did that kick, not kickstart because you were new, how did that really get your career in gear? Once Greece happened, did you start getting a lot of offers? Um, I remember it as not being a career kickstarter. I remember it as just being, you know, another job on the way to another job. I mean... You know, I was never really very career conscious, conscious to be truthful with you. You know, I never, I was always surprised that I was hired again. And after Greece, I think I did soap after Greece. I, I would have to look and see which game it, first. It is soap. <laughs> no, soap. I can't remember. Soap was after, which which I wanted to ask you about soap because sure. you know that's one of the shows. And as I said, I I was in I was in high school when that was on, and it was such a just a funny funny show, and and it was just the characters were crazy. I mean, what was that like on the set? Because there were just so many wacky characters and i'm sure off camera they were very funny you know i mean it's like anything if you're performing you're funny but how was that like what was that like because you went from the movie set to a tv set again but you have a recurring role how did you acclimate to that well first of all it was my favorite television show at the time so the fact that i got cast on it felt like walking into the pages of a book i'd been reading it was like when i first walked onto the set and I saw, you know, Bert, Richard Mulligan's character and, you know, Catherine Hellman's character and Billy Crystal's character. And you know, I really like I wanted to like point and say, look who's over there. You can't even believe it. Jake Johnson with the puppets. You know, I could not believe that I was getting to play with these people. And so for me, it was like I think it was the most excited I had ever been about getting a role. I think maybe still to this day, <laughs> it might be the most excited um, because because they were breaking ground. You know, it was edgy and it was controversial. And, you know, Billy Crystal was the first openly gay character. And, you know, they were talking about sex and adultery. And, you know, it was so juicy at the time. Now it's, you know, now it's, eh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's still fun to watch, but it's not 
edgy. Um, so I was, I was just so excited and happy to be there. And then Susan Harris, who is probably the greatest television writer who's ever lived, you know, in terms of sitcom. Um, I mean, her, her humor and the writing was so fit me so well. I felt for the first time, like I could play, you know, my Jewishness and my, my New Yorkishness and, you know, all the parts that, and this, and I go into this in, in the novel as well, parts of, parts of me that because I was Jewish, um, that I had to cover up in order to play, uh, play generic roles on screen. And, and soap allowed me to be me, you know, with all my stuff. So, you know, you're, you're, you're a TV show great show you're an iconic movie and, and you end up on broadway and you and win a tony how i mean such a it's so funny because earlier in the interview you said you know when you were younger you sort of felt like you were a fraud and like the character in the book and then but now you're on how did broadway come about i mean and for someone for you who did you know it's just like wait a second you know you never took it real serious i mean how did that come up yeah good question um so you know, as I as I was telling you earlier, I was cueing my mother on scripts from the time I was six. And a lot of the scripts I was cueing her on were Neil Simon. Um, she did Prisoner Second Avenue. She did um, um, Plaza Suite. And so when I Ought to Be in Pictures came up, the rhythms were so familiar to me, you know, and, and again, it accessed a part of me that was really natural to me. You know, she was this kind of tough, uh, young, New Yorky, you know, Jewish girl who had very complicated feelings and had been abandoned by her father. Well, that was me. <laughs> you know, it, it could have been written for me. And, um, and I felt from the very first audition that I was that I was the one for this, and um, it was a great experience, you know, being directed by Herb Ross. Herb Ross probably gave me the greatest education I'd had as an actor. You know, spending those those months of rehearsal with him was it hard for the fact that. You know, Broadway is, it's very, it's a grueling schedule. You're doing shows yeah. and it's live. It's not like Grease. If you screw up a line, take two yeah. or the TV show. Oh, you know, you, you know, what was it like that, that first night on stage? I mean, did you have butterflies? Were you anxious or was it that nervous energy? It was thrilling and terrifying. But, you know, what I learned from, because Out of Pictures was also my first play, um, what I learned was that I was far more comfortable on stage than I'd ever been in front of a camera. It was my medium. I felt free on stage in a way I hadn't felt before. I wasn't worried about how I looked, you know, the lighting. I mean, I grew up with a mother who used to, you know, grab my hand and take me from light to light on her sets and say, see, this is good lighting. This is bad lighting. <laughs> I mean, you know, she, she was in the makeup chair, you know, half the day. So 
there I was on stage with distance and presence and really engaging in a story from beginning to end, not that got chopped up into little pieces. And I felt free. I felt free. Now, you win a Tony, I mean, for your first play. I mean, that's just something, that's like someone, you know, a quarterback winning the Super Bowl in his rookie year. Or this is something that's such a huge yeah, thing. It was great. <laughs> what 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 was the, the talk? Were you like the toast of the town? Because all of a sudden it's like Diane Manoff, Dinah Manoff wins this I mean well, how how did how did other actors act you? Were some a little bit bitter because you were this new person that got a Tony? Or I mean, how did the acting community embrace you? You know, I felt completely embraced. I mean, I was young. So, you know, yes, I was in a sense at that time, you know, really being feted and, and really, you know, got a lot of attention. That part was very um, uncomfortable for me um, because, again, I almost didn't know what to do with it. You know, it. I, I, I didn't know how to celebrate myself as much as I was being celebrated, I, I would say. You know, I didn't have maybe the maturity or the confidence, um, but I, I sure had a good time. You know, I could get a table at any restaurant in New York City, which was pretty cool. <laughs> now, and, um, now, after that, you win the Tony. Do you want to stay on stage or you want to go back to TV? I mean, what? And I'm sure your agents and managers may have said, well, you know what? You know, you were just one of Tony. You could probably get this role. And as you were young, you were young. What was your direction you wanted to go in at that point? Well, as I said before, you know, I never really had that kind of career ambition kind of thing in me. I just, I just went from job to job. I just wanted to work, quite honestly. And I really felt lucky just to work. Um, but after a year of doing I Ought to Be in Pictures, I was exhausted. Because it's eight shows a week, and it was an emotional show. Um, so I knew I didn't want to keep doing that. And um, at the um, networks. And the great thing about development deals back in the day was that they pay you a whole lot of money to develop stuff, but you didn't actually have to go in and go to work. You just talk about it, talk about potential work. And then they give you a lot of money to, you know, so that you wouldn't go to any other network at the time. So I remember going from development deal to development deal during those years. And then I did the film of I Ought to Mean Pictures which um, which for me was not the enjoyable experience that doing the play was and um, and not the success that we all hoped it would be. Why wasn't it enjoyable? Um, you know, something happens when you go from the atmosphere of stage in New York City to the pressure of big money on a sound studio, sound stage in Hollywood. There's so much freaking money riding on your back to perform, to get the day done, to get the shots in. So this is another thing I go into in uh, Real True Hollywood Story of Jackie Gold. 
you know, everything is riding on getting the day shot because so much money is at stake. And I just got terrified. I was terrified that I wasn't going to cut it, that I wasn't pretty enough, that I wasn't, you know, bringing the performance from the stage to the screen. And I don't think I did because when I watched the movie, which I don't watch anymore, but when I watched it, I see, all I see is me shut down and in fear. I don't see any of that open place that I had on stage coming through where real moment to moment work was happening. For me, it's all survival. I'm in survival. Now, a movie I want to also talk to you about too is uh, Child's Play. Now, <laughs> that's something that I believe you're the first person Chucky ever killed, which I am. I'm Chucky's first victim which, and I'm really proud of it. Which, you know, that's, that's so funny because that's one of those things, again, when it came out, we're all like, you know, I was in college. We're like, what's this doll? But we all watched it. And and to, today, now, I, I put on the TV, and there's like a Chucky series, and it's still going. It's, it's lasted so for years. But th- did you also know that you would become, with horror fans, you're like no. a hero? I get Chucky dolls in the mail to sign. <laughs> I mean, it's the craziest thing. So when I auditioned for Chucky, I had I had auditioned, I had auditioned for two movies. One was Bloodhounds of Broadway, starring Madonna, Jennifer Grey, Matt Dillon, Randy Quaid, all these stars, big stars at the time. And I auditioned for Child's Play. And I thought, well, Bloodhounds of Broadway, I got, but it was paying me no money. But I thought, this is going to be the movie of the year. Everybody's going to see this movie. Child's Play was paying me lots of money. But I thought, no, nah, horror film, nobody's going to see this. Well, of course, Child's Play was number one at the box office. No one ever heard of Bloodhounds of Broadway getting straight to cable or to whatever it was, video at the time. <laughs> so, you know, clearly I have no idea. <laughs> well, well, what's amazing about your career also is that the, the character Carol Weston was in three different three different shows. Um how, how did Carol Weston come about? Was that just on the Golden Girls to start? Was that just something it was supposed you were supposed to be on there once or twice? Or how about what did I do besides Golden Girls? It was with uh, Empty Nest. Was the same character. Yeah, but, but N- when nur- you said three nurses. Oh, did I guest on nurses? See, I never remember as anything. Two, epi- <laughs> two episodes as Carol Weston. You had guessed it. Oh, good for me. <laughs> <laughs> no. um... We were a spinoff of Golden Girls. Um, originally, they they spun it off with Richard and Rita Marino was playing his wife originally um, in an episode. And then they decided, for whatever reason, to make him single. So they killed off the Rita Moreno character and brought in two daughters, Christy McNichol and myself. And we were that was the pilot episode. Um, so yes, I did some crossovers to Golden Girls, but they, those were when we were already, you know, in uh, in production on Empty Nest. Now, Empty Nest was a huge hit, and once again, you get to work with Richard Mulligan, who's brilliant. I mean, Susan Harris writing. So yeah, how I mean, happy was I? Yeah. And what was that like when all of a sudden you're on a hit series, and now you know? You have a place where you're going to go to work every day. It's not the development deals. You're going to go to work. People love the show. How does your life change? Because all of a sudden, 
You know, I try to explain to people, back then when there was a hit show, there was only a few networks, so millions of people saw it. Like, yeah. everyone. How did that change your life? I mean, you had success before, but now this is like every week, millions of people are seeing you. Yeah, I think, I think truly that was life-changing for me. And I think I was at a point in my life and my career where I could take it in um, and have fun with it. Um, so, come here, you can say hi. If you I'm saying I'm on a radio show. <laughs> okay, well then you're going to have to leave us now. Okay, I'll leave I love you, Mom. <laughs> we just dip in for a kiss. And... <laughs> I'll start over. <laughs> no, I know you, you said it was, that was great. You know, you just it was, that was a great moment on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my mom, Lee Grant, um, in her pajamas, coming what? in to say good morning. Um, anyway, uh, what were we talking about? Empty nights. So yes, it was life changing in that. I knew as soon as the um, ratings came out and the reviews came out that we were going to be there a while. And to have security as an actor <laughs> in Los Angeles, to know that I could just park my car somewhere with my name on the you know, parking place every day, oh my God, it was such a relief to me. And doing sitcom for me was as close to stage as anything. So, you know, I mean, we ran a little play all week long and, and it was fun. And working with Christy and Richard and David was, you know, amazing. I mean, we had the best time together. I was just watching, there's a whole blooper reel. It's like two hours long on YouTube that was sent to me that I'd never seen of Empty Nest. And all I could think was we had the best time. We had so much fun working on that show. Well, during that show, you also wrote a script, and you also got into directing. Was that something you always wanted to do? I mean, how did you parlay into, well, actually writing now, you've written a book, but you wrote a TV, which is completely different. But how did you parlay it into directing? And, and what's that like when you have to direct yourself? I mean, I think that would be nerve-wracking. <laughs> Um, I was so excited when they let me direct my first episode on Empty Nest. First of all, I am by nature a busybody. I am looking at what you're doing. I'm looking what you could do better. I'm looking over at the set. I'm looking at the costumes. It's just my nature. So when they let me direct and that part of me could be useful, it was like I felt for the first time like I, like I could breathe. And, you know, instead of trying to keep my mouth shut, I could say all the things that were in my brain and control everything on the set. It was so great for me. And I had to learn, you know, it was, it was great to learn um, how to work with three and four cameras at that time. Um, directing myself, you know, they wrote me light for, I, I think I directed six episodes altogether. And each time they would write me very light in the episode. And then I would have cue cards because my, my attention was so split, it was hard for me to keep my lines in my head. So, you know, they just made it easy on me. But I had a blast directing. Well, then after that, you went to, after the show was done, you went and directed some other shows. Is that harder to get a job as a director? Because back then, it's Hollywood. One, you're a woman. I mean, let's be honest. You know, there was a, it's a different time now. 
and this two is time now and and yes back then there were almost no women directors and um boy i came up against some personalities in the network and in the crews i mean it was i was not prepared for how hard it was going to be and i was new i was learning and there was no you know whereas on empty nest i had a family protecting me and wanting me to succeed when i went out onto the other stages it was cutthroat and um and uh it wasn't worth it to me to to pursue because i was coming home i had a you know a child at that point i had my first son dashel and i was coming home wrecked and sobbing from trying to prove myself and and it wasn't worth it it wasn't worth it so you know you know even to me what makes that even worse is you were a tv star you've been in movies and and it wasn't worth it for you and you think of how many people who didn't get that chance just because the doors were closed and i mean you think about it you were on the forefront because a lot of people weren't doing it i mean do you ever talk to younger directors did they reach out to you because they know that you were doing tv well you know not so much that as you know melanie mayron who is a really close friend of mine for many many years melanie has become an incredibly successful television director um and she directed the pilot of uh, the last the very last series i did before i left um, los angeles state of grace and mel First of all, Melanie knows camera, she knows lenses, she's always been a photographer. She's technically very savvy, which I wasn't. Um I was very uh, good at staging and working with actors and comedy and timing. I was a perfect little sitcom take director. But Melanie also had the ability to not take criticism personally, and I didn't you know everything stuck to me um she she can she can hear criticism not as a personal thing but just apply it to what she has to do as a director and so that's where i'm culpable in leaving that career because i really wasn't cut out to be a television director it's um it's a producer's medium it's not the director's medium and i was not good at being a tool of the producer's wishes i just wasn't what made you write uh an episode about the nest was that just something on a bucket list you said i want to write i want to write some tv because i mean because that's that's hard well, too because you're writing yeah, for everybody you know, we were you know i don't know what five six years in at that point i you know i mean it was like i, I kind of knew what to do and say around the kitchen table in the westons house you know what i mean i was like you know i'm a i'm a pretty antsy you know creative person and and i'm always looking for how to you know express myself and and at a certain point i thought well you know i could probably do this as it turned out it was not very good <laughs> i wrote it with my best friend Valerie Landsberg we wrote it for ourselves <laughs> it was pretty terrible and uh oh my god it was probably the worst week i ever spent <laughs> i've seen that on the set nobody was very happy with me that week 
Uh, and then um, I, I wrote the story for my mom to come on to play Aunt Susan, which was the other worst week I ever spent. <laughs> oh, big dreams. Now, anyway. Now, you know, after State of Grace, you pretty much left the biz. Yeah. What was it just a personal thing? Were you just tired of it? Was it because you, I mean, you think about it. You've won a Tony. You've been in, as I said in the beginning, you've won a Tony. You've been in a great movie. You've been in a hit TV show. You've directed yeah. TV. You've written some TV. Did you just say, I've done enough? I just want to raise my kids or I just want to get out of LA and New York? What What made you decide to just leave? Yes, all of that. Yes. And I'll tell you about the last audition I went in when I knew it was over. There was a role being cast, I think it was for Six Feet Under. It was the role of a therapist. It was a fairly nice role, you know, okay role. And I got dressed, I did the makeup, I did the hair, I learned the lines, I drove the hour to the studio, and I walked in, and there were 16 other actresses all up for that part in the room, all of whom I knew, all of whom were fabulous talents and we were all there to beg for this role and I said nope <laughs> no more so do you miss it like you said you moved up to a an island and you're was that was that your first move when you left town did you did you go to yeah. to ba- yeah to to yes um I never miss being in show business, never. I feel that the day I was done, I was really, really done. Um, I did not want to spend my late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s auditioning for roles that, that, that didn't have substance to them anymore fighting for those roles against other actresses who were equally as good or better than me. It just was, I liked myself. And um, I had three little boys and a husband and I loved being a mom and I didn't want to be a working mom because I'd had a working mom and I wanted to be right there. I did not want someone else raising my kids. And L.A. was a really hard place to raise three boys in. Um, You know, I wanted them to have room to play and to move and to explore. And so we looked around and and, uh, we ended up in the Northwest. And I have never looked back. It has been the best decision I ever made. Now, if the the book... Okay, so the book comes out. Now, if it gets optioned, or I don't know if it has, I'm not going to ask, but let's say it gets optioned or from movie rights, would you go back to L.A. for that, to be involved in the, in the, because you know how Hollywood can change stuff around, would you want to keep hands on to the book, if they said we want to make the book a movie or a series, and would you let it go, or, or is it your baby and you want to hold it tight? I would let it go so fast you wouldn't believe how fast I would let that slippery thing out of my hands. <laughs> no, I feel like my work was done. You know, I, I mean, I would be very flattered if it were, 
if I were asked to, you know, have anything to do with I But, you know, there are much better screenwriters than me to, to adapt any book, you know, my book or any book. And um, I don't have the need to explore it further. And I don't have the need to control it. I, I, the book is the book. You know, I, I think it's everyone I know who's read it has enjoyed it. That brings me great, great satisfaction. Um, I love talking about it. You know, I love that it finally found an audience because the hardest thing as a writer is not having an audience, you know, is, is having all this, these things to say and nobody to say them to. So when to finally have feedback and, and, and get to talk about the characters and the story and what, you know, what brought it on has been glorious for me. Now, is another book in your future, or are you saying I'm one and done? What, or is that going to be something? I hope so. I hope there is. You know, right now I'm pretty concentrated on getting Jackie, you know, um, the audience that I think she deserves. Um, and, uh, And I have some other stuff I'm working on. Yeah, but nothing to talk about yet. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, and it's just, you know, as I said, you've had such a great career. And the book, you know, I know some of your co-stars gave good reviews on it, which must make you feel good. Yeah, I got uh, some stunning reviews. And, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is prominently featured on the cover of the book, um, giving her uh, giving her wonderful blurb. And... Um, yeah, I feel very gratified that so many people are are enjoying enjoying the book. The Real True Hollywood Story of Jackie Gold, you can buy it at Amazon or request it at your local bookstore. You can also go on my website, dynamanoff.org. Back to you, Steve. People, get the book, dynamanoff.org. Also, you, you're on Twitter. She's on Twitter. And I am. Yes, and so <laughs> go to Twitter, follow her on Twitter. Um, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. Uh, also, as you know, dianamanoff.org. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 880 episodes there. Email wow. me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. Instagram, at coopertalk1. And don't forget, go buy the book. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.